0: welcome caller you're on the line with the calls are coming from inside the podcast an exploration of the human side of horror each week we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them together we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week, Pride is extending into July. I mean, we all know that being queer exists all year long. We don't just stop at the end of June, but we wanted to cap off this particular month with one of our favorite queer horror films of uh, really all time, the 2018 Cannes selection, Knife and Heart. We're joined by guest Chelsea Fittiment to unpack the conceptual ideas behind the film the complicated relationship of being a queer monster, and how a film about the 1970s has a lot to say about the LGBTQ plus community today. We'll then follow that up with our double feature recommendation, the 2014 Spanish film, Amor Eterno. Yeah, well, we love noodles here. Um, My partner, G, was sharing me the YouTube channel for the pasta queen. (laughs) um She's amazing. This, <laughs> so oh my god, that sounds
1: YouTube incredible. Chat. I I have been the last like couple of
0: you have to be the This Posta sounds queen. like
1: a plus a plus uh, content for when I'm having like a rough anxiety day. I've been re- I've been watching um Kids in the Hall has a bunch of their seasons up on YouTube for free, so I've been watching a lot of just like weird sketch comedy. And so like, I yeah, feel like the pasta yeah. queen, I could like easily slot that into my like other YouTube consumption. I think that sounds good.
0: Yeah, you gotta find her like short videos. Perfect. Those perfect. are called on YouTube fleets that was yes yeah that light. was yeah but
1: god man uh oh. what happened to fleets what
0: happened to fleets
1: i this is the, the most ideal like the most ideal scenario would have been that they kept it and they were like fleets we love calling them that Then i'm like great 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 just double down <laughs> double down on this
0: yes we love calling
1: them yes I like, I I can't, I can't say whether or not I think that that had to do with them choosing not to do them anymore, but also like, (laughs) yeah, I just, I could have like, who, who is on your marketing team that you were like, Hmm, that's going to work. Nobody, like nobody asked around, no one, no one had any friends that they mentioned this to in the meantime, I I suppose all these things are locked down by NDAs anyway. So maybe they couldn't have talked to anyone about it.
0: They never do. It's, it's, um. (laughs) Remarkable, <laughs> is what I'll say. Interesting enough, this is a good <laughs> starting point just because this is our Pride yeah, yeah. extension, right? Pride month extension episode. We're making it happen. So, uh, yeah, one thing I talked about in earlier episodes is just like straight people are just oblivious. Yeah, so I that yeah, I'm right, fully like, A fleet is going to get through sometimes. <laughs>
1: Yes, something is good. like when you're, t- especially when you're talking about like straight people that are working at a Silicon Valley tech company. Like, one hundred percent. Like, no one had anyone they could have asked about this. No one would have thought to have asked. It would never have crossed their
0: minds. And you think a, a queer person is going to tell you otherwise? Because we think it's hilarious.
1: Also true. Also true. If you, I, yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like if you did have anyone you asked, they're going to be like, "Hmm, hmm, that's a good name. You should stick with that. That's great." <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm, that's
1: that's one of those situations in which like you you can't if you told someone that this was not a good name for something and why like you would be you would be robbing all of us of something very important and very joy inducing. And that's cruel. Like you're 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 stealing Mm -hmm. so much from the rest of us that like you got to let that (laughs) one go through. It's very important. It's cruel for you
0: to deny us
1: yeah there's we have so little else in this world right now so like we can take an extra week for pride and we can and just let things be called fleets. it's fine don't tell anyone about that
0: let's let us talk for real certainly, about the real certainly. things that are well i in, not actually <laughs> real unreal. yeah hey we We're can talk about them both because <laughs> today i am here with chelsea fitiment who owns 30 pairs of performance-related sunglasses. Always really important as a performance artist. Uh, I'm not quite for that collection. I've got about uh, six pairs. But they love books and don't read. They are also the creator and host of Unreal, a fiction-focused experimental open mic. And you can keep up with their work at chelseafidiment.com, an unfinished website. I will put that link in the thing so I don't have to spell out your full name. Vocally,
1: fantastic. It, it is not the easiest last name to
0: spell, so that is, I think, advisable. I mean, it's it's fairly, you know, phonetic.
1: It's it seems to me like it's straightforward, but we've also like come back around to a point where I know so few Chelseas anymore that like I people have a hard time spelling my first name actually oh. at this point, which is interesting to me. That's a recent development, so yeah, I feel like I just give give the whole yeah. thing to people. Type it out.
0: Title. Totally give fine. them the full thing. Yes. But like I said, we're doing a Pride Month extension, so I couldn't think of a more perfect pick than, you know, the queerest or tinged film of the last few years, Knife, Knife Plus Heart, Un Couteau dans le Couteau. We want to try out our French at any point. Um, Yeah. This is, you know, Pride extension slash anti-Independence Day. (laughs) We're going for French films. We're going across (laughs) the sea. Perfect.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, Not that, you know, France has an unblemished history, but
1: Yeah, certainly not.
0: (laughs) But I'm all for it. So I guess to get started, and as we're talking about the history, maybe not yeah, we're not doing French history here, but we're doing your history, Chelsea with the horror genre. What's kind of been your, is this a genre that you're generally drawn to? Do you just find it in certain moments where like a film or a story will be appealing.
1: I think it's, it's something that uh, like, I didn't, I didn't develop, um, I think more of an interest in horror movies until I was an adult. Uh, At the time that I like really started watching a lot more stuff. uh, I was, I was dating someone at the time that like, it's a, it's a big like genre love for them. And it was something that like, was a, like, fun thing that we could do together as far as like making lists of stuff that would be like, Oh cool. This might actually appeal to both of us. You're a person who's already interested in this anyway. And like, I can, you know, like, and knows a lot about it. And so it was really fun and enjoyable and something we've continued over the course of continuing to be friends that like has been such a, a, like wonderful gateway. And also that like my friend is a very good resource for being able to like talk about a lot of this stuff because Mm -hmm. he's seen so many things. And so that's been like very good also in terms of like, uh, like the, I think the other the the other side of this context is very young. Growing up, I absolutely was like, and I think this is also like a thing. I think that will be relevant to our our later conversation about this film. Mm-hmm. Very much like averse to things that had like like so mo- mostly like self policing because I like assumed that my mom would be mad if I was watching mm-hmm. something or mm-hmm. playing something that was like very violent. So I was absolutely the nine year old who was hanging out at a friend's house playing original Mortal Kombat. And like, there's a setting that you can turn the blood off, you can turn the gore off. And like, we are there, we are home alone after school at my friend's house. And I absolutely was like, mm, can we turn the blood off, please? Because I think my mom would not want me to see that. Very much like the the cop in my own head about that, as well as just like, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's, it's intense. And so I think now, having had a little bit more introduction to it, like, I, I feel like it's definitely something where there's so much more interesting storytelling I feel like that is happening especially in horror movies not just not even just like Mm -hmm. current horror movies but overall um, you're looking at stuff that is able to do something far more transgressive in a lot of ways because like whether it's that people write it off as a genre whether it is about like being able to make a movie often on a much lower budget with a lot more modes of of transmitting that that finished film to people yeah it it just seems like there's a lot more ways to tell stories in an interesting manner and so you see a lot more I think interesting narrative technique which speaks to my own interest in terms of the kind of narrative that I like to read and that I like to create uh and my interest in in creating and and presenting those kinds of stories so I think for me now it's absolutely something that like it fully makes sense that there is just a really broad range of modes that you can tell stories how you tell them what they can look like who can be in them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and like that is something that continues to be a draw for me I think
0: yeah I mean I always Think of you as someone who appreciates the weird, <laughs> weirdness or subversion, subverting form, <laughs> subverting genre, these kinds of things. So <laughs> it's really great to think yeah, about core in that. Like core is, it, it is a transgressive medium. It's a crucible of uh, change, weirdness, yeah, queerness. I think yes, yeah, we definitely see this happening more and more as it gets mainstreamed is I don't want it you know you don't want horror to lose its edge it always it has that quality already inherent into it right which is nice but there is this side of things that makes I guess for me queer horror such an important component of it is that well you have to make sure you're holding on to that transgressive or subversive part of things
1: absolutely like i i think that's something i think you you make an interesting point with that too because i think about the the rise of things like you know i feel like the the this has become a little bit of a punchline at least online but like and there are good movies <laughs> don't get me wrong but like sort of everyone talking about kind of like the a24 ification mm-hmm. of like yeah we're all gonna do artsy horror films now like you know we're gonna have like rory kinnear and men or whatever like we're gonna have x and y and z We're going to have the witch like and again, there's some really good stuff that is there, like no no shade on those things. But it also makes me grateful for as much as I hate streaming as a model, the idea that someone was like, cool, we're going to develop a horror only streaming network because it means that people can actually like still get a foothold in keeping that weird Mm -hmm. stuff out there for people in a way that like you can still actively get a hold right. of. Right.
0: And the weird can be beyond strict genre limits, which I think we're going to talk about with Knife and Heart today. There is horror elements in it. It's coming from a giallo perspective, right? Jan Gonzalez, writer director uh, of this movie was really influenced by giallo films uh which you know, we need to talk more about. It's one of my favorite weird movie subgenres. I love <laughs> a good Giallo film. Yeah. And so this movie plays with that aspect of it and also gay porno films and also fairy tale aesthetics and all of these other lovely things. Yeah. There's so much that I love about this movie.
1: Yeah. It's just there's there's so much going on in this film yes. at any given time that like is is great. It's yes. very good. And
0: in a way that could be overwhelming, but I don't think it is. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I think
1: actually, it's interesting that you mentioned sort of the the like fairy tale element of it because like there's still like that's a I think a, a very like correct way to think about it because you of course have these things that show up as like these movements of sort of magic mm-hmm. kind of through spaces and like you know single characters that pop in for one instance to like provide us with some sort of like overall kind of heroic journey guidance like through the context of the film and I think on top of that too like. All of the M83 soundtrack also is just this like really lush, really dreamy. And I feel like that does a lot of work to help pull a lot of stuff into a a very cohesive space. So like for as strange as it can all feel, I think sometimes it also like does absolutely, I think kind of gel together in this sort of delicious kind of cotton candy miasma of stuff that like works really well. Cotton
0: candy miasma. My gosh, we'll have to come back to that when we touch on killer clowns from outer space. But uh, talk about a cotton candy <laughs> <and> asthma. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, let's break down this film because I agree. I think it stands as both this kind of loose metaphor for queer history, but also it has a coherent enough narrative driving it. I mean, it has all the weirdness of a Giallo film. That's like. Some really outlandish thing mm-hmm. happened in the past that the characters in the present have to deal with. Yes, and, solve, and that's great.
1: Have to deal with, and that like the 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 I think succinct like. Bow that that gets tied up in like 10 minutes before the end of the movie, where it's like, aha, and then it all comes together. That you're like, oh, oh all right,
0: okay. They actually give it more time, I think. They oh. unpack it more than most Giallos. Most gialli is like the last two minutes yeah, you find out who yeah. the killer is, and then they die, and you're like, wait, what <laughs> just happened? I think,
1: I think with that, too, that like, you know, yeah, this stuff that gets pulled in in these like absolutely insane elements of stuff, but that, yeah, the, the, there's like stuff in the middle where like. You know, you yeah, you have a, a one-off character that's like, oh, yes, he has a strange genetic disease. He's turning into mm-hmm. a bird. Like, sure, why not? Like, I'm great. I'm on board. I'm okay with this woman in this like late seventies like silk nightgown that has like sequins and feathers mm-hmm. on the back, like sitting at her sitting in the woods, like at her son's grave or whatever. Like, it's it's yeah. There's so many elements of this that you're like, where are we? Like, sure, sure, just why go not?
0: With it. Well, it starts off early, so. What I like a lot about the film is also it's talking about filmmaking, right? It's presenting the artifice of filmmaking the whole time, too.
1: Yeah, 100%. So we start off
0: with that editing in progress, right? The very first kind of shot is we're watching an editing reel of what we find out is Luis cutting this upcoming Mm -hmm. gay porno film uh, with one of the actors in it, Carl, cross cutting between him and this Mm -hmm. moody kind of club atmosphere um, as he's following this creepy masked stranger. Why would you do that? I have no idea. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was that was my deal. You're like rewatching this that I was like, he's starting this scene like in like surrounded by this crowd of like beautiful people who are already like touching him and kissing him. And he's like really obsessed with this, like man in a mask rubbing the front of his jeans, wandering away. And that's compelling enough that he's like, great on board for that. Right. Let me extricate myself from this like pit of pleasure right here and go follow this strange man somewhere else into this like abattoir that this club is. In. This
0: strange, creepy, leatherface-looking dude. No, don't do it. I, I mean, I guess I understand, right? Sometimes a scary something can be sexy. I just don't. I just don't think. I don't think this true guy is it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's the, the, the full, the full mask is a bit much, but I, but I do think to, to return to your point about it being something that like is about filmmaking, like it's also like, I think in driving at that and sort of speaking to like thinking about the artifice is also something that's specifically about like. And I think specifically in its relation to how we talk about queerness and like queer activity, queer community, it's specifically like in its relation to Mm -hmm. like voyeurism, like what we're doing, like, and how we're participating in that as the viewer, both watching somebody else, like cutting a film together, ostensibly being the editor, right? Because we don't see Lois for like a a Mm -hmm. few minutes after that um, in person, we just see, you know, And true to also, like, just the beautiful, like, saturated, like, colors in this film. Like, you're watching her very red fingernails, like, cutting these things, you know. And, like, and then you're going back and forth between, like, the vivid, saturated, like, the, the, the sort of technicolor look of the film as well as the color of the inside of the club and, like, how that's shifting. And the, like you know, we're talking about, okay, we're editing, we're viewing the film in some capacity, we literally are viewing the film. And we're also watching somebody else watching people in a club in which viewing other people's sexual activity is also part Mm -hmm. of the experience. And so it really just like kicks that off from the jump. And I think in those first few scenes, then, like really sets up then the parallel between Talking about that that voyeurism and also affection, love, desire, how those things come together, and pairing that directly against dealing with Lois and Anne, like in the immediate next scene, as we're watching, we've watched Carl walk through this hallway, you know, and find this man, mm-hmm. and then we immediately then are j- after, you know, after that first death, like are immediately that
0: horrifying to- first death. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, that horrifying first
1: death, but then also that
0: like like a stiletto dildo is a lot. It's a lot to handle. It's a, lot, it's a very unexpected <laughs> the, right up front.
1: Right. And like, they, it, it really, it truly is just like right from the jump, which is all, the fascinating thing too, that I would say here as a person who will 100% make the case for spoilers, like mm. as a person who has to like prep myself for Films because there's just like certain kinds of like body horror that I can't handle I would do a lot of reading Wikipedia synopsis right, uh synopses of films like in advance just so I know what I'm getting myself into and that like this was in like that that scene like the the dildo stiletto is actually in the mm-hmm. trailer like you know that that is like on the way like that's that is the thing that you're like okay if you're if you're down with this you're gonna you are down with this film but yeah so you cut from this like uh, and and again, speaking back to that cotton candy miasma, this like really saturated, hazy music that's like twinkly mm. and glistening and beautiful while this like this bonkers thing this like, ins- and of course, like two for this kind of film is like aggressively fake bloody. There's so much fake blood at the beginning, like that pools yeah. underneath Carl's face, which is like not a physics, like not a, not a, a physically possible scenario, but like I'm here for it. And then you immediately jump to Anne, like, running through this Mm -hmm. subway tunnel and having those two sort of scenes, like, be paired against each other. Like, so, yeah, I I think, like, very much you're you're looking at something in which, like, all of that stuff is really, really intentional. And sometimes to the point that, like, it can feel a little ham-fisted, but it also is, like, still really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I... And I might I might even say that the ham-fistedness is, like, important also to queer filmmaking and that I think ham-fistedness is also really important for camp. Um, and there are so many really dedicatedly campy movies. Like, to me, that first scene is so gruesome and also is so is campy, campy that you're like, movie. oh, yeah, like, it's a very campy movie.
0: Don't let subtitles fool you. It, it is quite, It is quite camp. It gets campier as it goes along. It's beautiful. I mean, we have a bird Absolutely. drummer in this opening club scene, right? Like Yeah, yeah, that's It's, it's pretty wild. That's true. I know. And the animal dressed up people is gonna come back in a few places in the movie. But yes, I think that yes. scene yeah. is yeah. telling us a lot about Anne as well. When we finally meet her, like you said, right? It's making that kind of comparison of voyeurism the kind of idea, these twisted ish, I guess, idea of love, or what does love mean? Right? Is voyeurism a type of love or love making? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Is a question I think that is positing there. And Right. Yeah. Is absolutely
1: that's like is is through like the entire film. Like yeah. in the in the As like, I I think really intently of like, there's so much that's set up of like, especially at that beginning scene where you're talking about Anne sort of painting herself talking about her nightmare Mm -hmm. as being like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the victim. I'm the one running through the dark. Like I'm lost here without you. Like, you know, telling her ex, like, you know, oh, like I, I, you know, I can't be alone. I need to be with you, which is already like not a great conversation to be having anyway. That also takes like a, a very like dark. At five in the morning. Darker turn. At five in the morning. Yeah. Um, Lois
0: has been up all night editing your editing
1: your editing film. This
0: film. I like the Google description describes Anne as a Paris-based producer of third-rate gay porn. Like what? What makes it third-rate? Yeah. I don't... <laughs> What's the first-rate? Yeah, what is? Yeah. <laughs> what's like, the quality I, I, control that the Google yeah, description exactly, wants exactly. of this gay porn? I want to know,
1: especially like for. So this is supposed to be set in mm. Paris in seventy-nine, and like, yeah, what would have? What would have first-rate? <laughs> gay like gay porn have been at that point um or is it like there is- There
0: are films from the era so altered innocence which distributed this film also has uh, there we talked about them on the last episode as well because they released the kind of our our double feature movie Rapture in Blue but they have also released gay erotica or gay porn films from the the past era too which like yes i guess those <laughs> fit into this like canon of cinema in this in this way, but yeah, I just I feel like it's pretty first yeah. rate as far as what it goes, as far as the ideas she has. Like it's she's a very yeah. conceptual filmmaker, Anne. So I
1: <laughs> yeah I, yeah
0: <laughs> I would give it to her. <laughs> like
1: the 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 premise for some of these, yeah, I agree. Like God, what are they? I'm trying to think of. I I didn't quite catch it in french but i think as subtitled translated that like the uh the film that they're that Anne is editing at the beginning that that is like they show uh, a bunch of previews for it that they're like oh we're gonna show this movie Mm -hmm. again during the theater scene at the end and i think it's like i think they literally title it like that one's
0: called spunk and the land alone (laughs)
1: Spunk and the land alone Uh, i love it yeah but like (laughs) Um, which is like that again, like actually like a pretty, like, like pretty conceptually broad, like mode of of shooting a film. Yeah, I think even just the stuff that she ends up, you know, taking like borrowing from from the reality of the film and like turning that into a film that then she's working on, you know, uh, concurrently like that. Mm-hmm. is all stuff that even that the even the like the scene that they're shooting for the other film that they're working on uh that's like the sort of quasi like roman torture yeah. scene but then it has all these like the pagan rituals and stuff that's like towards the towards the the end like yeah, these are all. I, I would say I, I would I would put these up here. I think there's some interesting shooting and stuff going on in mean, these. Some interesting interesting uh, camera yeah. work in these fictional films. As,
0: yeah. As far as we know, I, it's never clear if we're seeing like the actual film or we're seeing it through like the lens of Anne's imagination. Maybe like in her mind, this is yeah, truly <laughs> also yes, <laughs> amazing. yeah, amazing. In reality, yeah, who knows? Because we don't really see a fantastic. lot, a lot of the films themselves. We see like the. Yes. No. We, we see the not. movies version of these films, but yeah, after that, we kind of meet the rest of the crew. We meet Archibald, who's kind of the co-director, Anne's best friend, kind of muse, mm-hmm. <laughs> a very wild character. Um, I love Archibald. Yeah. Archie archie truly is like uh, just a just, just a, a queen. just a wonderful just character, truly really wonderful, a character. lovely queen.
1: Yeah. Well. Yes. And like and but like perfect in terms of like like great mm-hmm. lines, great line delivery. And then, like, on top of that, like, doing the, like, doing the most in terms of, like, actually being, like, a character who is admirable, like, admirably a very good friend is also trying to, like, do the work of looking out for Anne's ex with whom he is yeah. also friends. And that, like, yeah, like, definitely it, it's, it, it's this, the the thing that's so fascinating I think about this that's also is that, um not the thing, but a thing that's very interesting about this. There is something to be said about like you're watching a a film that in and of itself like heavily features like reference to and like visible, like obvious, uh, erotic and like leaning towards pornographic Mm -hmm. content, specifically in talking about like like queer men's films, of course, being shot by two lesbians who are in charge of editing and direction at these companies Mm -hmm. and sort of like the relationship between like how do we talk about a, a thought that that occurred to me at several different points is like the, the mediation of desire in this way. That's like, you know, I, I think even the scene where, uh, you know, she and, and Archibald are like out on that drive and she's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you got to stop. And like, of course, like, let's go to this quarry so I
0: can pick up this like cute thing. Right, twink, we gotta find um, some hot and tell got to be in movies. Construction workers. No, I yeah, like
1: that. Yeah. We got to get some hot construction workers.
0: That moment too of like, she wants to go find these everyday blokes or whatever, right. The common people. Uh, right. and Archibald compares her to Emile uh, Zola It's kind of
1: to Zola to Emile Zola that I was like this is this, this is, is good writing funny. like this is genuinely like good fun writing yes it's extremely funny and that like the um like but but even the way that like engaging with like that scene how she uh how she talks to uh Nans like and sort of is encouraging him that, like, oh, like, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're great at all this, like, is very, you know, again, is, like, clearly, like, putting herself in the position of being a sex object. Mm-hmm. And that, like, also is very much about, like, exploiting that in terms of, like, how she's being interrogated when she first goes into the police station to go talk to people about Carl B.
0: Moore. Right, because that, that comes like, up right after it. Like, I like how the movie just yeah, kind of yeah, falls right. into that, even with its dream like it's a little bit loose timeline or chronology, it still does follow like yes thematically. Yeah, we have to learn about this so that we know about why that interrogation with the police happens in the way it does.
1: Right. And so like it's it's this like fascinating like you're so you're you're watching this like interesting mediation of like in specific like gay men's desires and how that functions in the context of cis women, of trans women, of like being in sort of like more complicated Mm -hmm. queer spaces and that even is something that comes up too in terms of like how each of these killings happen and speaking to kind of what you were talking about earlier about like looking directly at the art of this filmmaking here that like very distinctly there's a point i think this is the third murder that happens uh Mm -hmm. misia this this trans girl who had previously been uh an an actor that had worked for the production company before they all go to this like rap you know film rap party picnic they're all outside and everything and uh and that particular scene so there's the we can get into all the other symbolism of that scene generally but like so that you know long story short storm sweeps in everybody scatters everybody runs right and sort of this like this breakup in a thing misia had said when they first uh meet these these trans sex workers like Mm. at this bar that they're all sitting at um and mentioning that she's like you know here's the thing is that like yeah like being in you know gay men's porno was was fine but like this is a community of people and like we look out for each other and we care about each other and so then to have this like rift immediately created by this storm like which i think is certainly a reference to the past blowing in that's a whole other <laughs> thing that comes up but like but like in that moment like when misia is murdered like by contrast we've seen carl like and the and the killer at that point like engaging in like nearly engaging mm-hmm. in intercourse at that point having been like tied to a bed like lots of foreplay lots of lead up lots of like erotic tension even with uh Theory, like you know you're watching again like the comparisons of pleasure as he's like just he's just yeah. shot up heroin and then like you know seeing that interspersed with this this queer club that you know that lois is at uh and then watching him being lulled and forced into a like an oral oral sex encounter with this killer before then he gets murdered very very gruesomely oh
0: gosh that's like the most horrifying part i feel like
1: yes yeah that one's like yeah they were like it's it's that one like more more so even than than carla is like genuinely like really really gruesome it's like gruesome. really horrifying the and like you're seeing this face me-
0: behind that mask is like there's all this facial contortion i don't know there's something
1: Yes, Strange. there's like oh, you're yeah, you're watching They're all of the, yeah. about that moment. It's very seeing this like unfold in this particular way, like is and so that then the this this third murder is so mm-hmm. different in that we are watching. I cannot remember the name of it or who the the filmmaker was, but there's a very famous uh, filmmaker, and I think might have been a film critic also, a uh, woman from several decades ago. uh, this is sort of where we where we talk about we initiate talking about Mm. the female gaze right or the feminine gaze which like what would it look like if you made a film that wasn't just like people looking at like at folks and in particular like looking at women like using women's bodies as the site of like looking at this stuff and i think of course i mean i'm gonna use women here but like i think generally like women or non-binary or trans or queer bodies in this way that we are like looking at voyeuristically Mm -hmm. and like as a result then What happens in this scene is that this camera, the, it's just this rotating camera view that will like pause for a second and we see the killer step closer and then it rotates again because that was this, this film, right? With this, this woman making this film that like the only thing that happens in it is instead of having a stationary camera shot, it just rotates Mm -hmm. and rotates and rotates. And like, how would that influence what sort of, uh, how we're engaging with the content or the narrative of the film? How would that affect that? And so that's like really that's also the really striking thing about uh, when Lois gets killed at, towards the end of the film is that like you don't see this like again extremely like you don't even actually see the moment of her mm-hmm. getting killed like you don't see the moment of her getting stabbed it's the lights are flickering you know you think it's going to be you know Anne you see the killer coming towards her and then you know the lights briefly come back on and they keep flickering in and out and we just yeah, have like Anne's body kind of like you know, our, uh, Lois's yeah. body being held yes exactly and so like there's this different. Different feeling a bit paired directly against, specifically, absolutely, the voyeurism of looking at men's bodies in like sexual engagement with one another. That um, this becomes this like very different mode of presenting that specifically, which is which the contrast for that is, is, is the contrast is really striking.
0: Right, because we show up for a movie like Knife and Heart, I guess, which is about you know it's taking place in a gay porn place. So right, the idea of penetration happens both erotically. And it happens with knives, with murder. And so, of course, right, we're going to start spiraling as we get farther from, like, cis male forms from, like, the direct penetration to, like, as you notice with Luis, where it's basically off screen, uh, the moment uh, of penetration. So, yeah, I think it is, I don't know, I feel like it does a great job of uh, explicating itself, right? You don't have to necessarily read (laughs) An essay on film theory or about, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to read, I don't know, Carol Clover or something like that. That's like kind of (laughs) trying to unpack the male gaze. You can you can kind of see it directly operating, which is great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very, there's, to a degree, there's like a very, an extreme degree of literalness that you're like, okay, great, right. I can get on board with this. And still have it be shot really well in a way that you're like, then all, then right, all right, But then it keeps
0: folding into this, I don't know, funhouse mirror effect, because this, I'm going to hop us back kind of where we left off in the chronology. But yeah, that, that kind of questioning or bringing up the artifice of film and the artifice of like what we choose to focus on in film also happens after that first police visit from anne like once she has that interview it cuts directly to archibald playing her in this film version she's decided to take this murder Mm -hmm. investigation and turn the next porn film which at the time is called anal fury uh i even put the note anal fury there's a more creative title somewhere out there right and i forgot they come up with a yeah, new name for yeah. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Look, like that, that was what we went with initially. Yes, they do. But yeah, gratefully, they come up with a, a new name. But yeah, Anal Fury seems like a really rough yeah, jumping off yeah. working
0: Homocidal title. Homicidal Chef's Kiss.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Much preferred. Much preferred.
0: But that also brings up that layer of artifice of now we're looking through the murder investigation. And this is a murder that is based on the people who were killed who were actors in the previous porn films so it's like also emulating this past situation this past experience director having to revisit their own work or revisit their own methods is really I don't know it's fascinating to me how it how it turns into that
1: it's something that I think I I, like it creates something interesting in that like there i I suppose this is somewhat relevant in that like it is also french i don't know (laughs) why i don't i don't engage with that much french media but it's going to sound like i do in in specific i think about something a a a colleague of mine uh i remember saying a long time ago that like talking about a body of work being something that like you know like if you look at something as individual pieces that like if they they are they are more or less successful Mm -hmm. on their own but like I mean the big thing is that like you take a swing at trying to achieve something specific and sometimes you sometimes, you know, you knock it out of the park and sometimes, you know, you completely miss the mark. It's it is interesting then to take something that is like returning to your own work and taking something and doing it again in a way that's like okay actually i'm not finished with this thing and i want to take another i want to take i was literally about to say i was going to take another stab yeah, at it which probably will uh, oh, yeah. be on the nose for no
0: the that's but, i feel um, like we're we're leaning <laughs> that way make it on the nose maybe that's the yeah might as well
1: um so here. <laughs> You know, taking something. So in particular, I'm thinking of uh, there is a, a French novelist who does a bunch of other, I think, like translating and like theoretical writing. But I've only read his his mm-hmm. novels. Um, uh, his name is Melton Page. So he has two, you know, I think he has only written two novels. He may have written more, but at least only two have been translated into English. And one of them is called, uh, the English translated title is How I Became mm. Stupid. And the the next novel, the translated title is The Discreet Pleasures of Rejection. It's really fascinating to read these two because like they they both have their own individual charms. But like as a person who had like, completely at random had done the thing we all do, you know, when you love reading books Um, at like you walk into a bookstore and like a cover really strikes you and you like, pick it up, you look at it. It's nothing you've ever heard of before, but like something about the way that it's designed, that physical object is like exciting to you. And so you pick it up anyway, even if you don't know if it's going to be good or not. And so I had read, Discrete pleasures first which is his second novel and at some point i was like oh he yeah, has this other novel that he wrote earlier i'll read that mm-hmm. having read his second novel his first novel actually is like very similar to a lot of the like same sorts of comedy like same kinds of like narrative uh devices that move the story forward and like that doesn't make it a bad book it definitely was just really fascinating to see like oh like you had pieces here that you wanted to come back to and that you wanted to keep working with mm-hmm. and like in so many ways, like in in the instance of this particular film, like I think it's fascinating to be taking something that's like, how can I be taking pieces of stuff that's either happening to me or that that I want to use again or return to in some capacity, like looking at your own content for like modes of of you know finding something that you still want to work with, and in this particular instance, it's something that like speaks really heavily to. I mean, like I think it's there are enough pretty obvious instances in this film where like it's also a film that's about trauma and that's also something that like is i think you know and like negative and negative relationships like sometimes sometimes toxic relationship interactions and how you know we we navigate that through things that we're making you know and gets accused of being like callous or insensitive about you returning Mm -hmm. to this material Mm -hmm. at a lot of different points because people are like you know these things are so horrible this is terrifying it's tragic but like Again, there's just like how how we, I think, gets at like different, totally different, weird modes of dealing with processing this stuff that sometimes take us through even darker places before we reach a point where we handle it appropriately. Hopefully, handle it appropriately. Hopefully, process it in some way.
0: Right, and and to a degree, I mean, processing it is that is appropriate. I would definitely not say Anne's behavior is appropriate (laughs) throughout a lot of this movie, particularly with her relationship with Louise. Right.
1: Absolutely not at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrible.
0: I definitely agree. Like, she has every right to make a movie about about this, and I do think that idea of that censorship, like even if it was like a self censorship or like an like put on you because you like you should feel bad or it's insensitive for you to do this. It's like, well, no. Sometimes, like, you actually need to go head on in addressing something in your art in your work. Yeah. Um. So I, right. I do appreciate right. that for her and being very you know demanding that it happen in this way to the point where she even in the film once this uh group of trans sex workers along with missia kind of come into the film that brings it all together because we see the like Mm kind of last shot of the film it's a bunch of different like couples i mean it's a gay film so of course we're always going to have some dude kissing himself in a mirror that is just like a standard
1: I'm so 100 (laughs) percent
0: gay dude movie trope i you know it's fine I, I accept it in this movie because it is so you know reflexive but i i'm okay with it not showing up in any oh movie God. ever again like the narcissism, yeah it's fine we don't have to do this i yeah we just we don't need to keep pushing that message that queer people are oh narcissistic uh for <laughs> just being queer it's a weird thing uh, but we kind of get
1: that's a, That's such a. It sp- is, but isn't yeah. it? Is it going on. Kenneth Anger, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, you're no, doing. yeah, I,
0: I. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's I. So we get that kind of POV shot of this killer, the white-gloved killer, coming caressing these people's faces as they kind of go through. Maybe it's a, a specter of you know HIV/AIDS to come. Maybe it's a specter of this actual homophobic violence. Maybe it's you know. It could be read in any of these ways.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: But mostly it is it is the specter of, I think, hovering outside whatever that issue is and not naming it. And, like, I, I don't know. To me, I read it as that's mm-hmm. what Anne's going for. That's why she casts herself as the killer. Um, right. And even asks at the end, like, was I a good fag? Which I do want to touch yeah. on that a little bit. It's interesting. I love that she asks that question. Um, I think it's accurate, and I think it's a good discussion point to have because I'm like, it's a a tough word, Uh, the F-slur, as we might sometimes call it. Yes, sometimes, yes. I think there's a lot of conversation around, well, should she even be saying it in the context of this film as, like, a queer woman? Yeah. But it is interesting how the film is still highlighting, like, yeah, the desires around these cis gay male bodies, and there's, like, this idea, maybe, for some people, that fag is only for <laughs> cis gay male men. It's like, actually, it's a word that's yes weaponized against a lot of different types of queer people. Yes. Uh, I don't yeah. know, is it something... Yes. Yeah,
1: like, this is... This yeah, is, a is it
0: something that, hey, for you, do you feel like it's reclaimable? Is it something that <laughs> lives in this world? Like, queer also has some some history of being like as a slur, this is hard. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. you know, where I'm at in my life, queer. Great. I love it. Uh, fag. I love right. too. If it's, I, I think if it's, it's I, you I, know, I, among friends, <laughs> it's great. I don't like it yeah, being shouted I, I homophobically I, I think... at me, but... <laughs>
1: Yeah, like well, right. I, there, there, there are so many ways and words that people can say stuff, and like, wh- and again, like to very easily weaponize those, to very easily weaponize those things. But like, as a as a person who is also a, a very big fan mm-hmm. of the word dyke, like that's also been something that's been weaponized in a lot of ways, but also is like a great word that like has a specific context, and like, if you're a dyke, it. you're a dyke, and that's like <laughs> the way that we talk about it. Like that, that's that's a, you know. So like, there's so I, I think the. I think in specific here, like the thing that's so that's so fascinating about this scene in particular, I, and I, I think you're, I think you you make an interesting point here, talking about like not overtly naming mm-hmm. what this is, right? Because like in the film, we get the context of like we understand as a viewer having seen stuff up to this point that we are watching like these parallel narratives between the killer mm-hmm. and Anne, right? And that Anne is Anne is on the road that led to this killer being right. this killer, and is like unwittingly identifying herself as a monster before she fully yet knows the level of her own monstrosity, Mm -hmm. like in terms of being able to like name it and look at it and talk and like engage herself on it. And so that's something that, like I said, as a viewer, I think we're we're seeing that, but yeah, like the the larger thing here that we're dealing with is that like, you know, I, and I I think part of the reason to like to, to have a permissible, a gay man looking at himself (laughs) in a mirror scene in this is that like, Speaking to exactly your point, the thing she immediately asks after this is, you know, was I a good fag? And so, like, in in its own way, like Anne moving through the desires of these people and like seeing herself sort of in these, you know, as a person who is working with gay cis men, you know, constantly professionally. That like that this is something like seeing yourself in in you know the narratives of this or, or the level of engagement in this, and also sort of like yeah, you see that like you know that that sequined gloved hand like sort of. You know, dragging these people around, kind of manhandling mm-hmm. people, like you know, the in the mirror scene, like touching this guy's face, kind of aggressively, and then kind of pushing him aside. And like, you know, the I, I think it's I, I think it's somewhat telling that the last you know instance that they walk up to is you know this person engaged in being mm-hmm. flogged by this by this trans woman, who then gets like the last line in the film because you have you know Archibald as uh, as Anne and you have Nas who are like standing there as the, you know, after this, after they've shot her, you know, and this, the, I think Dominique is, is that particular woman's name, the, that is, is flogging this, this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she's like, yeah, she just like, basically like she was too close to it. Like she started obsessing over, you know, gay men and started seeing herself as a fag. It's a, it's a, you know, she said like, it's like, it's a rising sickness or something. Yes, like yeah. what she says, like, this is, you're seeing it more and more or whatever. And that like, even that speaking to exactly what you're talking about, like, there is something specific to be said about like appropriating what that is like, and and gay culture in itself in a lot of ways appropriates from the culture mm. of black women uh, and blackness generally, which can be very which can be a difficult thing to in, engage with and come to terms with in a lot of ways um, for for many queer folks. But but it
0: is interesting to use that 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 sickness or that virus metaphor because it is it is transmitted yeah. in that way. It yeah. is very viral, right? It goes from black culture. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, filtered exactly. through like, this
0: a lot of cis game, male appropriation into the wider right, culture right and then the wider culture takes it and has no right. real connection right. to where things come has from. no
1: connection to it and is also still right has no has no connection to it does not know where it comes from and that on top of that is also willing to like you know view the 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 deviancy of it like this is how we get into and i and i promise i will not (laughs) get too far into this because i feel like you've probably had enough of these conversations in your life but like this is where we get into the like the 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 psyop of like no kink at pride right and that like also and we get and we get into the which which like to be clear i like want to be really clear about that like is fully something that originated on like a like 4chan or 8chan like sub thread message board it is not like a thing and like is now a thing people talk about like people are like yelling at made up yeah. arguments that Just, are not they're all a real thing.
0: yelling at clouds they're all grandpa simpson yelling at a cloud yeah it's
1: all old man yells at cloud yeah yeah exactly like this is a bunch of people being convinced to old to be old man yelling at cloud and uh but that but there is you know speaking to, I, I think this this wraps around in that like yeah you have people who like do want there to be something. I mean, we're, we're in the, we are currently in the midst of, you know, this huge pendulum mm-hmm. backswing of being able to talk about like queerness openly in public spaces, including spaces like schools, including just existing as a queer person in public. So there's, there's all of these, these, you know, components of talking about this that I think, you know, this film came out in 2019 that like, I think is relevant to talking about, yeah, like how can we virally cherry pick some stuff out of this that like we can say we, I did like that, that, we being people who are not within the queer community can say, yes, I identify with this thing or like, I can take this thing or, you know, r- like RuPaul can be enough of a, you know, lease my aunt land for fracking, <laughs> like, g- g- like gay industry magnate at this point, like person to say, great, everyone and their mother watches drag race at this point. There's, it's been exported to multiple countries at this point where z- zillions of seasons in this has massively shifted how Drag as an art form and as a cultural scene exists or functions at all, and how people look at drag as a mode for Mm performing, like being successful as a performer, is altered by this. And people are able to cherry pick these things out. And so it's interesting to have that put on a queer woman in this film, like who is also part of the queer community and also in this like zone of, yeah, at the same time, like. Am I enough of a part of this? Yeah. Like, and like, is it acceptable for me to like identify myself as a fag in some way? And I think it's something too that again, like, I, I having I you know mentioned like I'm re- I'm watching because I had actually never seen any of it. A bunch of the early seasons of, mm-hmm. of Kids in the Hall, which is a Canadian uh, sketch comedy show that some people may be familiar with, um, and that like thinking about also how we're talking about like sort of people who self-identify as like tender queers and like young people who have like only had the experience of like knowing that like people support you being being a queer person in public to a certain capacity that like yeah sometimes you use the word faggot mm-hmm. and like there's totally appropriate uses of this and like so many people involved with gay liberation like and that gay liberation didn't need to change the name of itself to encompass everyone being involved in the movement like gay lib was a way that we referred to it and like that was fine like great there were better more inclusive terms we ultimately ended up using like and of course the complexities of navigating the actual like history of gay lib and including trans folks including you know queer women all of this other stuff of course but like that like the language is only useful mm-hmm. up to a point right and there are points where like those things as we historically have them like can continue to be useful in specific ways if we're willing to allow that and say, yeah, this is a transgressive thing to say. And sometimes it, and like I said about the word dyke that you're like, yeah, this means something specific and like a specific kind of community and level of engagement and camaraderie. And like, it is something people strongly identify with. Like that to me is, you know, is it a word, is, is you know, is FAG a word that I'm going to casually throw around like in, you know, regular company? Probably not. But is it something that like, there is absolutely like reason to use it, time and place to use it? Like, you know, I mentioned Kids in the Hall because it's something that like, their, their, the uh, gay member of their troupe uses it mm. a lot because he does a lot of interesting sketches about being yeah. gay very publicly and like at a time that no one was like that, that wasn't a thing on television especially not in comedy oh like gosh. mainstream comedy
0: oh my gosh the early 90s what a <laughs> interesting time yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> so like you know the, so that that's something that like yeah, like, of course, Scott Thompson saying it is like not something I have any issue with. And it's weird, actually, if you go back through their channel, and you're watching it on their channel, they do actually bleep it, they oh. bleep it out.
0: Mm.
1: Which is like, is really interesting to me. If you see just like user uploaded videos, you it's still on there. But like, yeah, they, they like this was something that came up in sketches, like, often. Yeah. And that, like, yeah, this is something that you're talking about people who are like making sketch comedy that is about really like knocking over stereotypes and bigotry on their ear, which is what makes it worthwhile to do, yeah, so yeah, like i I think there's there is all of this is connected, but in terms of both like using this term, how that feels as well as like cherry picking components of this thing and how valid it is to identify with components of that is like it's it's complicated, and it's something that like. I think it's allowed to I think the, the overall feeling that I have about it at this present moment is like it's allowed to be complicated. And I think
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a lot of ways, people who are trying to like aggressively police the the, the usage of the F slur um, are, are in a lot of ways, people that are like much more interested in trying to narrowly identify something or finding like a taxonomical framework for identifying certain kinds of behavior or sexual Mm -hmm. interests or gender identification or expression or whatever. And like the terms are useful in that they can help you find a community so that you know you're not the only one out there. They stop being useful when it turns into you policing who gets to say what, like at least in this specific regard, I think.
0: Yeah. And I like that you brought up this idea of like (laughs) term of tender queer, because I feel like on the surface, this movie would not appeal to someone. (laughs) who maybe identifies that way, but it is a very, I don't know. I think it's a very tender movie. Uh, I was watching it with my partner and he said, oh, it's very sweet. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought of this being a sweet movie, but in a lot of ways it is.
1: There is definitely, yeah.
0: And for me, I feel like it's exactly that thing that we were saying about Anne earlier, right? That she's being called insensitive or for dealing with something directly and head on. And I think. No, that's maybe it takes some bravery, but it's also, I think it is a very sensitive, it's a very feeling thing to want to address Mm -hmm. an issue, to address a trauma, to address this type of experience head on. I don't know. I run into that a lot, I feel like, with with the idea of media having to either teach us some moral (laughs) lesson or be, you know, soft soften all its edges or whatever it's like no I would rather watch something like, that is no like this tender and real and it is dealing with sensitivity around a topic that also requires you know an explicit presentation and requires us to actually like see the thing and know the thing we're talking about
1: right absolutely a
0: lot of the kind of this idea of tenderness which i understand is like as as a can be a protection mechanism right to avoid trauma or to Mm -hmm. avoid trauma responses coming up that's all valid super great to know but i feel like there is also we can't live in a world that is silent about things or is no preventing you from knowing right like there's already enough silencing happening from you know the conservative right. moral majority right, like <laughs> we don't need to silence ourselves. Right. Interesting. It comes back to the self policing. Yeah. Turn on the blood in Mortal Combat. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes,
1: yeah. Turn on the yes. blood. Turn the blood on in Mortal Combat. Really... It's
0: fine. It's totally acceptable. <laughs> it's really the wrap up um, there.
1: Yeah, like. It...
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think you're not gonna you're not gonna get yeah. around it, right? Like there's always gonna be dealing with self-policing or community policing i think right just the more that you think about it or push people to think about hey maybe don't don't police me if you believe a cab that goes for like
1: right you
0: as a person too that starts starts with that starts
1: with killing the cop in your head first yeah Yeah. kill the cop in your head first like do like you got to start there because otherwise yeah you end up in a position where like you have an attitude about somebody riding a bicycle on a sidewalk like it's the like there's there's so many ways that i think we've we've already made the 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 old man yells at cloud reference and there's so much of this where i like i definitely want to like be aware enough that i that i also just don't that i don't sound like because also in speaking in relative terms like I actually had this conversation with somebody the other day that someone that is like close to my age. Uh, I am. I, I like to be vague generally because it's not necessarily super <laughs> important. But I am. I am younger than forty. I'll put it that way. Um, and uh, that like had mentioned that someone that is similar to to uh, uh, the age of my friend and I like had been talking or had been referring to themselves as an elder queer. And I was like, honey, like that we are so young Mm. comparatively. Like there is so like, like absolutely not. Like that is not the case. And so I, I, I am very reticent to sound like I'm someone that I'm like, I've been around the (laughs) block. You young babies don't just can't handle such and such, you know, turning into like the queer version of, you know, every, every straight dude, stand up comedian that exists right now. Um, like in my day we comedy had to be you had to you absolutely shit on some horrible like horribly marginalized group of people and that's what we did and that's the only thing that can and be that's part of. But <laughs> that um <laughs> um that like there is there is like I said, I absolutely to your point, like there is so much silencing that already happens that like this is it's not worthwhile to do something that that silence is is lauded in some capacity this i think is a larger conversation about how people talk about like straight Mm -hmm. media and like straight art pieces and also like what that like what that gets at in terms of like queer coding and what is actually queer coding and what's something that is like you know somebody making some shit up long after the piece has already been released (laughs) etc i think it's you know it, it, it like and and i think the 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 thing that's here is like, to your point is that like tenderness, I think is something that in specific is like, sure, it can be a response to dealing with difficult or traumatic situations and experiences, but it's also something that like, there is something to be said for, you know, the sort of, you know, Anne's sort of short monologue while she's in the police station initially, where she's talking about, you know, like this, this sort of like, boundless Mm -hmm. desire in some capacity is its own form of love. This voraciousness is its own form of love. And like, and with that in mind, like that voraciousness includes a degree of, of tenderness. Like there is absolutely things that go with this in like every capacity of what can often be defined as kink looks like. Um, even for things that are perceived as being perhaps more aggressive than other things. That
0: Yeah. Even there's, there's a scene that pulls that out again, makes it explicit, right? She, Anne goes to this yeah. kind of queer ladies lounge cabaret. And there's this like burlesque and yeah. bear duet. Yes.
1: Yes. With the bear. Uh, I
0: love it. I love it. And um
1: yeah, the the sexy paper mache, the flopping bear mouth, the like paper mache bear head is like, oh, it's it's so beautiful,
0: right? So and the so and it. that the the way that it ends is kind of this line: "The more I kill you, the more I love you." Is what the bear is saying. The and more I like, love you,
1: absolutely. The woman, bear yeah. is like, yeah. yeah, the
0: more you kill me, the more I love you, right? So that there is a yeah. There can there, be there a violence is. in that, in terms of just desire, and like we said, right, the voyeurism, the way that we are looking at it, in terms of just something that overwhelms you, right, the type of desire that Anne's yeah. feeling, the way that that gets kind of imprinted on the the just kind of bodily desire of <laughs> filtering it through a gay porn lens, right that that. It's, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. it's also interesting i think we can have tenderness about that i think the tenderness helps you to value something absolutely so use it as a tool to evaluate rather than weaponize but i think it's all in there
1: right right like this is something that i, I yeah like this is i think the thing that's really fascinating about thinking about it is that like in and of itself like it, there is a degree of like and maybe, phrase, maybe, maybe phrasing it this way is extreme but like but when you're talking about like intimate involvement when you're talking about like sexual engagement like there is there is absolutely both tenderness there is there is an agreed upon degree of both tenderness and of violence that you are mutually agreeing upon sort of coming into this act together um and like violence can take a lot of forms whether that is something that has to do with a certain amount of like voyeurism that we allow for whether it has to do with direct penetration Mm -hmm. in some capacity like Um, In instances also in this film of like BDSM and engagement with that, but there's like there's modes of there's there there are modes of talking about like what we would think of as literal physical violence in some capacity, as well as like the tenderness and in part is is its own violence, you are allowing yourself to engage in this intimate space that leaves you vulnerable in a way that may result in Mm -hmm. heartbreak may result in physical violence like may result in like all of the like that like all of those things in and of themselves are engaging with both tenderness and violence in a way and and tenderness as a, a an avenue for violence as something that like violence that can be useful yeah like something that is not necessarily like traumatic in and of itself so much as it is simply something that is difficult to experience and worthwhile in that difficulty of experience
0: right and setting that against actual homophobic or transphobic violence which is also a big part of this movie it's about (laughs) that's a lot of the reason why the killer is doing what they're doing right
1: Right, absolutely, one hundred percent. You have a killer that is killing for exactly these reasons, is is basing this on, on previous trauma, and that also you have a like completely impotent police force that's like, oh, oh, I don't God. know, we don't I'm really God. give a shit. It's a bunch of gay the porn police. actors in, you know, at a porn studio. We don't care that much. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is a perfect depiction of the police in that they are Barely in it, like we use them as campy sexuality, and they do yeah. not solve the crime. Like great, fantastic, like excellent, like totally useless. Like great, great A cab movie. I feel like the other thing that can't, maybe not, maybe not great, but like at least at least like a cab enough. And also the other thing that comes up that I think I would we could return to later, but like the other thing that comes up a lot in this is how much you pay your actors. Mm. But we can come back to talking about like how this movie engages with with pay and labor at a different point.
0: The exploitation. That is super no, that is super important, yeah. I think. Right. Along with all of the rest of it, right. Actually, that is, I mean, a good topic to bring up or just to point out because we talked a little bit about it earlier, right? With commodification. I think the movie is pointing that out, right? Anne gets questioned a lot about paying Mm -hmm. actors properly.
1: Repeatedly.
0: Thierry really wants to get paid on time. Yeah. She's offering more money to certain people, but that might be more, you know, who knows how accurate how about she's actually like when she tries to get nons to be in the movie yeah but she's she yeah, also she lowballs yeah. the trans women at the they're like they laugh at her offer the
1: trans women yes yeah like 200 francs and after she's told him like uh, which i could appreciate that too that they're like that's less than for a blowjob during like at day at daytime yeah. rates like that i was like this is this is a good way to so it this.
0: sounds like So maybe she's learning, like they all agree to be in the film at some point. So hopefully, you know, she got her act together, at least as a producer. I don't know. But I think it is more showing us that point of, right. I mean, sex work is work. A, (laughs) it should get paid fairly. You can't exploit the people that you expect to make your art with you. Because it just confirms what like the police and straight society thinks, right, is that you're not worth anything. So like yeah, you can't do it, and I think I think somewhat that's what Anne needs to learn. Whether she fully gets there or not, I don't know. I think I like that she's very complicated.
1: Yeah, that's um, questionable. I do, but, that, yeah.
0: But it is part of the movie, and we get that yeah. all the way through the end. I mean, because in the end of the movie, we're coming to see the screening, the premiere of *Homicidal*. We also see that. Trailer for Spunk in The Land Alone, where we kind of get all the pieces together, right? The killer was targeting those specific actors because right. they were in the film yes. that was based on basically his life story.
1: That, like, reminded him. Yeah, exactly. That reminded him of his own, like, traumatic Yeah, childhood. That
0: somehow Anne knew about psychically. Like, it's not something that she had yeah, read Anne, about. So, Anne, but yeah, she Anne made this, movie channeled this
1: Yeah, Yeah, based exactly. On this, exactly. This
0: fire and this, you know homophobic murder of the killer's lover at the time. And you know, I when I go out, I expect to go out like Guy Favre and, and get stabbed by a random twink in a porn theater.
1: Yeah. It it <laughs> <laughs> um, it like that scene is so fascinating too because it it summons back you don't see it on screen, but it summons back when Anne is talking to the police about like the orgy scene that she recalls Mm -hmm. that Carl was in and that she says then this thing about like love and like being, you know, like this, this unending desire.
0: He was insatiable. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. And so this, like this feeling of like, you know, he's surrounded by like five partners or whatever and they're like filming this scene and like in its own way that like this specifically is like, I think, I think four or five guys surrounding Guy at the end of the movie and then ultimately that like final, you know, those final repeated penetrations as he's being stabbed to death with his own knife. And that like, there's the, there, that also like summons up, I think this like specific kind of like, you know, that, that sort of feeling of, of uh, voraciousness of lostness of that, like comparing that, that sexual ecstasy to then the sort of like thinking about that and even framing it just as ecstatic release, mm-hmm. right? This person now is free from this like horrific monstrous life that they have been, you know, the, this that their trauma has, has trapped them in, and sort of left them unable to do anything about, aside from, to their minds, you know, kill off the cast of this film. That that must be the reason that you know he's continuing to mm-hmm. have these dreams or whatever about uh, Isham his, you know, his, his uh, teenage lover. And that like, yeah, there's something just like, you know, watching this happen. And again, there's like sort of specific throws of it. it. It's like same sorts of things, like a a certain degree of violence in a way that is also something that is sort of uh, both could be ecstatic to experience and also to view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's also something to be said too for like going back to talking about like how we talk about, you know, in a, in a more positive sense, like how we talk about, not community policing, but community engagement and conflict mm-hmm. resolution, in this way that is like I, I I think about in particular like I feel like there have been so many more instances of like, and this sort of digs again like and, and part of what I like about this film is like there's no clear answer to this it's 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 complicated the entire time that like there often are more people who are willing to at least approach different modes of resolving conflict or to like take responsibility for solving conflict in marginalized communities. And that includes communities of color that includes queer communities, you know, certainly the intersections of all of these that like, I think back to, there was a, a fairly popular like queer core band um, from a few years ago that like it had come to, there had been sort of a whisper network about one of the members of it. They, they were mm-hmm. very popular. They got a lot of attention. Like people were really into their music. People were really excited about it. And, it came to light through various like whisper networks and other stuff that like one of the members of this band had like had a history of of assaulting people, and that this became something that like queer folks who were listening to this music who'd been at shows like rallied around trying to essentially like stop this from continuing to happen and to stop continue giving in particular one member of this band a platform um this resulted in this band, I think, losing a record contract or getting dropped from their label.
0: It was right before their their debut album came out it was like the the week of or the week before it was supposed to drop so yeah a lot of of things
1: right and so like it's just it's these things where you see like this feeling of like there are positive Mm -hmm. sides to this in which you are talking about people who are willing to resolve conflict and to in more instances actually like achieve at least a result that is satisfactory to people in the situation who have been who have been
0: victims Um, or been victimized right well to hold people accountable because you have you have the authority quote-unquote to do so i don't really love the term authority no but like intra-community like you can hold those people accountable which is always i don't know to me i look at it as somewhat unfortunate like yes of course those people should be held accountable it just obviously the consequences are swifter if you're a marginalized person Right. That doesn't mean you should get away right, with doing right. bad exact- things. This is
1: exactly what I was getting to,
0: but precisely, oh, precisely wild. like
1: the, the like the, to exactly, to exactly that point, like there is also, you know, this goes back to what we're talking about with like the whole sort of conversation around, especially like younger Gen Z queers, like, and feelings about like overt sexuality mm. or like, I think even dealing, especially with like really transgressive trans narratives and like, People arguing and and sort of the the perception of infighting over like what is transphobic when you are talking about stuff that's being produced by trans creators, for example. There was a whole big like reopened conversation about a particular science fiction story about this like a few months ago. And it was like a whole whole thing that you may have been you may have uh, heard rumblings about. But like I'm curious. Um, but more. yeah, so th- there's this like there is both. Oh, <laughs> um, the there's there is both like the. Mutual capacity to do more Mm -hmm. to hold people accountable, which is good. But yeah, it's also something that, like, it can be really difficult when then what that means is, like, sometimes accountability means losing something that was possibly, like, a fairly prominently and at least at the time positively viewed mode of engaging with some kind of, like, different, uh, like, identity other than something mainstream and, like, seeing more, like, interesting transgressive media that is, like, out in the world. And sometimes it is, like I said, justly you know, justly removed and people are deplatformed, and that is a good thing. And there are also instances in which like, yeah, you have people who there is enough infighting that like, because I think of like there being a, a push towards not willing to hold space for multiple, like multiple things being mm-hmm. true at the same time that like can lead to lack of creation or access to things that like do those complex and complicated things yeah yeah it's it's it's, a it's a it's a uh, like a fine line i think to be walked there that i think is like important and interesting about like i said thinking about this last scene of yeah you're talking about like the like this is a person who you know by all accounts from this film has experienced this like i mean truly horrific trauma like going through like and I think something that's interesting here too is taking like countryside France mm-hmm. to porting this into the big city, where I feel like, you know, so I think also referencing to the like, turns out actually queer narratives also yeah. happen in rural areas. Like, these are right. like queer, queer people also, are actually everywhere. Right.
0: That the consequences for being queer, <laughs> the danger of being queer in a rural space right. is, is. Yes. Uh higher to some degree than in in this i, mean, right. I guess it depends right
1: to a know. degree and
0: the dangers are different
1: well i think it's I, right i think it depends like i think <laughs> because, because we're also yeah and and this is something that like yeah you're watching somebody like have what is a frankly like pretty standard teenage romance that you like that is again speaking to that 10 that degree of tenderness like a pretty standard teenage romance and that like also is something that like then you know for a variety of reasons in particular most predominantly you know queerness like Having a, a family member, in particular a parent, like have a horrific reaction to this and like actively engage in the mutilation and murder of like two teenagers, including right. their own child. And like dealing, like dealing with that, right? We have that is what has shaped this killer. And at the end, right before this person who like is doing No, with, like I said, you know, no, no, no sympathy in engaging with this in a particular way, but like, yes, it's it's brutally murdering other people, right? Like traumatized people, hurt people, hurt people. That's, I mean, like traumatized people inflict that trauma again, unless we reach a point where we help people to process it and they are, and they're willing to process it. That like, Right. So you have this wildly traumatized person inflicting this trauma on other people. And then to have that also end with their murder and somebody saying, Oh, so you get off on killing fags, right? Mm -hmm. And then getting like, you know, fit like just completely, you know, beaten by a mob and then stabbed to death. Like, and that this is both like in this instance something that is both justifiable, but also like Complicated. Yeah, it's complicated to say we're taking this member of our own community that has had no room for rehabilitation or processing any any trauma whatsoever, and just like eliminating eliminating this this you know from the community whatsoever. Like is also a, a is is complicated. I think.
0: I think it is. I think for me, I always try to think of well, what is the protection there? Obviously, you need to protect people who are being harmed. Who are either you know, victimized or survivors of trauma or assault, but you also need to... If it's happening within your community, you also need to think of the protection of your community, right? Like, this cannot be a thing... Of your community, right, right. Where we let the straight world or whoever it is outside of that be the arbiter of, like, well, and that shows yeah. that queer people are degenerate or that shows that this group of marginalized people we were right about all right. along. It's very common. We spiraled... Uh, out but covered all the things i feel like that this movie is touching on in a beautiful way i love it
1: it's it's i i can appreciate that yeah thank you no
0: it's a good way to wrap up our our kind of pride month coverage i mean it's always going to be queer here on the calls inside podcast so don't feel like (laughs) like this is this topic of conversation (laughs) is going away if you're a straight person out there listening i i you know i hope you watch this movie i hope you take (laughs) something positive away from it
1: yeah please please watch this movie I the way I've described it to people is like you can get a lot of really good stuff out you can think really hard about it and also like you can watch it as a like yeah beautifully artistically rendered film that is very sensuous is like very beautiful sounds very beautiful and is like both gruesome and like wildly campy in terms of its story elements and its violence, like in a way that many slashers do. That like, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of great stuff to love about this, even if you're even if you're not delving into the, the, the queer politics of this film. Yeah.
0: Straight people, go have an awakening with knife plus heart. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, oh Chelsea. Where can we find you online? Yes. Um, in addition to com, if if people are looking at it. Find out more about your work mm-hmm. or see what you're doing.
1: Uh, trying to think of a, a good way to summarize stuff right now. The the website, I do, I have laughably poked upon it myself because it is uh, unfinished at the time being, but that is going to be like a big repository for a bunch of the work that is ongoing for me and other stuff that I've done in the past. Like I'm in the process right now of trying to figure out if uh, it is feasible COVID safety wise to consider bringing the show back yeah. in person um, i am trying to uh, have some conversations with potentially looking at at potentially a change of venue so i want to make sure that i iron that down first before i like give people you know too much information about it my website is is certainly going to be full of stuff and i think outside of that in terms of like work where i am uh, more behind the scenes uh, you could also check out uh, the Chicago Review of Books which does a, a wide array of, of reviewing all kinds of publications both like small and large from uh, local authors as well as like, a whole variety of other folks mm-hmm. uh, you can also look at Meekling Press uh, which is a micro press based here in Chicago uh, and I help do um, some events production and show work with them in addition to helping to physically construct books and and maybe doing some uh reading of manuscripts for some, some uh, upcoming calls for submissions that yeah. we may be looking at. So I would say I would recommend those two things as well.
0: Read some books. All right. Yeah, read some dang books. <laughs> read some <laughs> books, watch some queer films, and um, keep it creepy. While we could recommend compatriot French film Stranger by the Lake as our follow-up to Knife and Heart, we wanted to cruise in a different direction. So, we went to neighboring Spain to bring you Amor Eterno, Everlasting Love, a 2014 queer cruising and cannibalism tale from director Marcel Flores. The movie begins in a documentary style with a classroom of college-age students describing what they think true love is before plunging into the main story. Carlos is a 50-something teacher at a language school who spends his weekends cruising for sex in the local woods. He sees one of his students, Tony, at the woods one afternoon and begins a flirtation and sexual relationship with the young man. However, a partially eaten body is found in the woods, scaring off all but Carlos and Tony's strange group of friends. As Carlos tries to push Tony out of his life, Tony pushes back, trying to keep the connection he found with Carlos alive. At least for a little while longer. Amor Eterno is a beguiling little film about the limits of desire and obsession and the feelings of youth replacing people who age out of desirability. And at only an hour and nine minutes is a short enough film that you can still have a full night out ahead of you, if, you know, that's what you're looking for. (laughs) But thanks for staying with us throughout all of Pride Month, and we want you to remember to keep it queer, but also keep it creepy.
1: Click. Did you hang up? It just said click.